Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Jay Bear, customer experience strategist, researcher and author. Jay, welcome to the show. Fired up to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get into it. Excellent. So you're here today to talk about how brands can strike the balance between speed and personalization to drive Mm -hmm. maximum engagement with their customers. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. I've been in business growth and customer experience now for almost 30 years, Uh, have owned a series of consulting firms, worked with many, many of the world's largest brands on digital marketing, customer experience, advice, and counsel. Uh, I spend most of my time now as an author and presenter. I'm in the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame and just published my seventh book called The Time to Win. In my spare time, I am the number two tequila influencer on the planet uh, in the the non-celebrity division, right? So it's not... George Clooney and then me or The Rock and then me or Kendall Jenner and then me, but it's some guy in L.A. and then me. So amongst mere mortals, amongst non-celebrities, I am the second most popular uh, tequila influencer. Fabulous. Well, it's a shame we don't have time to go into that today, but we certainly will be diving into <laughs> Next the book. time. I'll come back. I'll come back. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll do a spin-off episode, definitely. Yes. Um, but yes. we will be diving into the book shortly. Um, just before we do that, um, as tradition on the show to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer as well. Yeah, I, I actually talk about this sometimes. Um, in presentations. It, it happened, uh, I guess it was a year ago now. I was headed to Australia to do some presentations for Volkswagen out there. And my wife was was with me and we were flying from uh, Indianapolis to LAX, LAX to Brisbane. So a long day for sure. So we're in LAX and the gate agent is uh, doing the scanning of the boarding pass as you, as you board the flight. And they've got that little black box there right next to the gate they look into. I don't know what's in mm-hmm. that box exactly, but I think it's obviously your name and your seat number. But it's got to talk about your status as well with the airline because she's like, boop, scans my pass and looks at me. Oh, Mr. Bear, thanks very much for your diamond status. We appreciate your loyalty to us here on Delta. Uh, thanks and have a nice flight. Now, that that was nice to hear, but I fly so much. I'd heard that kind of speech a few times and so whatever but then scans my wife's boarding pass boop looks in that little black box and and i think realizes that my wife doesn't have very many frequent flyer miles because she says oh oh mrs bear mrs bear i'd like to thank you for what you must be doing at home to allow mr bear to spend so much time with us here on delta so ma'am in particular we hope you have a spectacular flight And we went down that jetway, I'm not kidding, in tears, because not only did she completely nail our relationship dynamic and how important my wife is to the work that that I do, but nobody would ever, I'd never heard that. Nobody would ever acknowledged her that way. It was was really something. Uh, So that that to me was a great example of, of customer love, especially because that's the kind of thing that's not scripted, right? That's that's a, a person 
treating a person like a person, like in the moment. And to me, that's the highest form of customer love. When it's not my boss told me to do this, you just did it. Yeah, that's such a great example of, as you said, someone not just sticking to the script, uh, but really taking the initiative to go above and beyond to really delight their customers uh, and create what's ultimately been a really memorable experience for you. Just got to like, okay, what's, I mean, the, the definition of empathy, like a lot of times when we talk about empathy in business, um, and, and sometimes I think we, we use empathy as a, a shorthand for customer love, but but empathy mm. doesn't mean the customer is always right. The customer is not always right, by the way. Um, the actual definition of empathy is to understand and share the feelings of another person. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what we're trying to do, right, in customer love. It, it's got to be circumstantial. Uh, it's like, okay, what does this customer need right now from me slash from us? Mm-hmm. And how can I deliver on that? To me, that's the the best way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. Makes complete sense. Um, okay, let's get into the, the meat of what we we're going to discuss today. So um, as you alluded to at the top of the show, uh, you've recently launched this book, Time to Win, very, very mm-hmm. successfully by the sounds of it. So congratulations Thanks. on that. Um, I'd love to kind of get a flavor and, and give our audience a bit of a flavor of um, what the book's about and what fundamentally mm-hmm. the Time to Win mantra is really all about. Yeah. So here is my observation. Um, coming out of the pandemic... I just looked at my own behavior and the behavior of friends and clients and colleagues. And my initial thesis was, I think we feel differently about time now. That the pandemic reminded us that we each have 1,440 minutes a day. And there's nothing you can do about that. Like, that's all you get. And, And a lot of these trends now that we talk about people not wanting to come back to the office because they prefer not to commute. They want to spend more time with their kids. They want to bring their kids to the business conference. Like all these different things I think are the same trend, which is that we care about time more than ever. But as with all of my books, I never write a book or even a presentation without validating it. One of the things that really annoys me is you get a lot of people who are presenters and authors and quote unquote experts who who just kind of, here's a thing I think is true. And let me tell you that this is true without actually proving that it's true. So every time I write a book, I spend a lot of money on like very high level, very top shelf research because I'm not going to go tell a giant company that this is true unless I know it to be true. So I I created a huge research study um, that is really the most comprehensive study ever done on the relationship between responsiveness and revenue. And it turns out, indeed, people do think about time differently. Two-thirds of customers now, two-thirds, say that speed is as important as price. And I think as customers, we feel this, right? As customers, we think, man, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. But as business leaders, sometimes we say, ah, we're fast enough, or we're fast as, as fast as we can be, or to be faster would be too difficult, right? So we have this weird disconnect between what we expect as a consumer and what we're willing to deliver as a business. So when I say the time to win, which is the name of the book, what I mean by that is this is an opportunity to use speed and responsiveness as a competitive advantage to truly outperform other people in your category by being more tuned to customer needs around responsiveness. You've got a window of time to do that. I think it's two or three years. Two or three years from now, this entire episode will be stupid. 
because everything we're going to talk about, people will have already done. None of this will be optional eventually. Your customers will simply demand that you get faster. We're not there yet, which is why you have a chance if you get started to outperform the rest of your category in this very important area. It's really interesting. And um, we're going to kind of cover a little bit later how to strike the balance between speed and personalization, because I think some people yeah. listening to this, it might be a little bit counterintuitive mm-hmm. to, to say, well, let's deliver things as quickly as possible. But wait a minute, we need to deliver a, a more personalized experience. Before we mm-hmm. get into that, though, I'd love to, um, you, you touched on it there, you did this kind of big piece of research, I believe it was called mm-hmm. the customer patient study. Um, mm-hmm. Would you mind kind of sharing some more of the key findings from that study to, yeah. again, kind of give a flavor of, of what the book's built on? Yeah, you bet. One of the most important uh, pieces of the study is this finding that half of all customers will hire whomever contacts them first, regardless of price. So you think about any kind of competitive bidding situation. You choose how fast you respond. It doesn't matter whether you're selling legal services or cars or soap or whatever. Um, you decide kind of what your response rate is in that scenario. And half the time, doesn't matter what the price is, the customers will hire whomever gets back to them first. And this is because we're in an era now where we interpret speed as caring and we interpret responsiveness as respect. If a business is faster to get back to us in whatever context that means – we interpret that to mean that they care about us, our money, our well-being, our liveliness, that they love us more as a customer. And that has distinct material impacts on revenue and retention. So knowing that to be true, right, if you know that half of customers will hire whomever contacts them first, wouldn't you want to architect your business so that you are always first? I think you would. But a lot of people haven't figured that out yet. And I'm assuming what you're saying there is true in both a B2B and a B2C setting, right? In terms of yeah, like how we are as consumers. So in, yeah. yeah, even more so in B2B, actually, I would argue. Just because the the you know, people don't people don't inquire casually in B2B. Hmm. Right? In B2C, you might be like, hey, what's this new candy bar? What's that all about? Right? You're not you're not committed to some giant you know, investment. But in B2B, nobody's like, hey, I wonder what this software does. Like nobody's like recreationally doing research on business to business solutions. If you're actually kicking the tires on anything in B2B, there's a reason for that. And your time matters even more. So while yes, I think we tend to think of responsiveness and speed as a B2C construct, I would argue that from an actual value standpoint, it's even more important in B2B. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and luckily in the book, you have put together a framework, which we'll go on to in a second. Yeah. Um, but coming back to my, my sort of uh, question I teed up earlier, yeah. um, how in your experience then can businesses strike this balance between delivering great personalized experiences, which mm-hmm. again, consumers are asking for, we know mm-hmm. that, but delivering mm-hmm. it in a timely manner and by a timely manner, again, another bit that I was reading in your research is that you can be too quick, right? If, you, if you're too quick, oh, for sure. then customers might become suspicious it might be almost off-putting so how do you kind of strike the balance between all of this first i would say that obviously i'm a big fan of personalization um, and customization because customers want to feel like they're the only customer in the room i think there's a deep psychological benefit to that but i will also say 
then if you have to choose between personalization and speed, I would choose speed because people will overlook a business getting their name wrong, for example, if they get exactly what they want exactly when they want it. Um, I think speed is speed is largely non-negotiable now. Um, in a way, it didn't it didn't used to be. So, uh, you know, if you got to pick one, I would pick speed. That being said, um, there's a principle in the book that we call the right now. And the right now is the perfect amount of elapsed time, not too fast, not too slow. It maximizes trust and customer satisfaction. So one of the most important things that you can do is to figure out what is the right now for your business. And it varies very much from business to business, but to figure out in every customer interaction throughout the totality of the customer journey, like what's the right amount of time. And this is a testable, optimizable proposition, right? But most people are like, well, this is, we do the best we can and here's long it takes, right? That's not, that's not math. That's just sort of an anecdote. So we've got to be a little bit more rigorous, about our response times. And when you think about business, usually the only time we ever really spend a lot of time figuring out the time is in customer service. Like what's our average call handle time? Like people track that pretty routinely, but but we're not tracking all the other intervals in our business. How long does it take to get a contract or pay a bill uh, or get a delivery? Like we've just got to be more rigorous about how long things take because once we know our baseline, we can get better at it over time. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and um just to get an idea of what are the kind of consequences that you've seen businesses that have just been too slow off the mark to deliver? What, what mm-hmm. are the kind of negative implications on, on that business? Well, there's actually two, um, and it's the two big ones, right? So if you're not quick at the initial customer contact, as I mentioned, half of all customers will hire whomever contacts them first, right? So mm-hmm. if you're not first, uh, you might as well be last, right? So so you're going to get fewer customers from the beginning, and then the second issue is you end up with higher churn rate. You you get a lower customer retention rate because, and the data is so clear on this, This the, the emotions that customers feel when businesses are fast or slow are really powerful. Um, when they're slow, they feel disrespected, right? Kind of, you know, feelings like this. So 85% of customers, which is astonishing, 85% say that speed and responsiveness is an important factor in their brand loyalty. So it doesn't matter what you sell. At some point, and it could be a day from now, could be a week, could be a month, could be a year, could be a decade. But at some point, every customer has to revalidate their purchase decision and say, you know what, I want to buy from them again. And speed and responsiveness is a huge driver of whether they buy again. Because again, if you interpret responsiveness as respect, when it's time to re-up, and this is where B2B is so critical, when it's time to, to you know, get the software for the second year, you're like, do I feel like they care about me? And some of how you make that decision is, do I feel like they were as fast as I expected them to be? It's really interesting, actually. I had an example of that today, funnily enough, where I reached out to a brand um, with a with a question, and they responded a lot quicker than I was expecting. And I did feel this kind of like positive sense towards them. And you talking there about feeling respected is actually something I hadn't thought about at the time. But now that I reflect back on it, it does make a lot of sense. You do feel respected as a consumer and valued if people are getting back mm-hmm. to you too quickly and the answer they gave was you know very helpful as well which is obviously the most important thing yeah. um but yeah it's interesting i had something like that today as well um so 
alluded to uh, a little bit earlier the fact that you've put together this six piece mm-hmm. time to win framework yeah. um and i'd love if you could kind of cover some of those elements in a little yeah. bit more detail yeah, just some of the high points for sure uh you know and there really is even though the book is is small and and short intentionally it is very very practical and actionable which is sort of the how i go about doing this I mean, i've been a, a consultant for 30 years uh, and an author for 13. So for me, I, I would never write a book or give a presentation that doesn't have sort of actionable steps because otherwise this is just sloganeering and I, and I don't find that interesting or, or helpful at all. So the six-piece framework, the first piece in the framework is one that is really foundational and important and we touched on a little bit earlier is to perform a got-it audit. Got-it audit. So got-it audit asks you to figure out how long does it take your customers to get it. Like how long does it take them to get to get pricing, to get a delivery, to pay a bill, to get help? Um, and we think we know the answer to this in a lot of businesses, but we don't. Because I ask business leaders this question all the time: Hey, how long does it take you know to set up a delivery or whatever? And they say, Well, Jay, usually it takes three days, but sometimes it's over a weekend. It could be as many as five. Um, if everything goes perfectly, it could be two days. But if Phil's on vacation, right, it might be six days. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. This is not data. This is a collection of anecdotes that you tell yourself. And if you're going to figure out the right now, the perfect amount of elapsed time for every customer interaction, you have to know actual numbers, not stories. So this will require you to do some backwards looking analysis in your business to kind of figure out like, okay, what's the median? What's the mean? How long does it take? How long does it actually take? Because only when you know that can you get better at it. So that's the first piece is uh, is the got it audit. And uh, when I talk about that principle, people get a little bit wide-eyed because they're like, he's right. We don't really know. We just kind of know. A second, a second piece of the framework then um, that I like a lot is this idea of setting speed expectations. Okay. So if – we remember we talked about the right now, the perfect amount of elapsed time is slightly faster than customers expect. That's ideal, right? Not too fast because then they don't trust you, right? You don't want to go to the fastest tattoo artist in your town. Bad idea, right? So you, at some point speed, you know, the fastest, we're the fastest lawyer. I'm like, um, I'm, no, 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 I'm not sure that's what I want. Um, so you can be too fast. You don't want to be as fast as possible, but you certainly don't want to be too slow. So the ideal state is just slightly faster than customers expect, okay? But in order to make that work, you have to know what they expect or set expectations. The reality is if you don't give clients some indication of what reality could or should be, they will expect everything to happen instantly, Right. And this this trend is very clear over the last 10 years. What we thought of as fast five years ago is now slow. And I've been doing this for decades. Right. And I've never, ever, 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 ever in my entire life as a consultant heard a client or customer say, you know, I've been thinking. And next time, why don't you guys just do that more slowly? Right. Speed expectations never go backwards and they never stand still. They always escalate. So in a business, in any business, you have to go out of your way to explain to customers how long things will take and, importantly, why. 
especially for younger consumers, they don't take anything at face value. Nothing. Like you have to tell them why. So if it's going to take 10 days for a thing to happen, you have to tell them it's going to be 10 days. And if you tell them why it's going to be 10 days. So almost every business, when you really think about it, can be a lot better at expectation setting and expectation management because, and I want to make sure you hear this, everybody, this is a, a really key part of this whole system. Speed versus expectations is more important than raw speed. So if you set expectations appropriately and you can then exceed those, you're in great shape. Look, you, you learn this on the first day in business. The first day they teach you. You should always under-promise and over-deliver. Like you learn that on the first day. Yet when it comes to speed, a lot of times we screw it up. We either we either do the opposite, right? We overpromise and undeliver, underdeliver, or we don't set any expectations at all. So the customer has no idea what to expect. So that's one of the things to really work on is to say, in all these different key customer customer touch points, how can we just give them a little nudge so they've got a sense of what's gonna happen, right? This is like when you call your, your cell phone company, right? And you're on hold and they say, hey, uh, thank you for your call. We're going to answer your call. And the order was, was, was received. Um, estimated hold time is 11 minutes, right? The estimated hold time 11 minutes is really important because if you didn't know that and it was still 11 minutes, that 11 minutes would feel like 45 minutes. And that's a proven psychological fact, right? So that expectation setting is really, really important. And we got to be better at that. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Jay, we've covered some brilliant ground today. Just in closing um, and kind of to help bring this to life mm-hmm. a little bit, I'd love if you could share some examples of companies you've seen executing yeah. this really well and the kind of impact that's had on their business. Yeah. So one of my favorite examples, and this is something that should be a little scary for business because increasingly you've got these nimble startups that are getting built around the premise of responsiveness, right? That, that speed isn't a feature. Speed is the reason the business exists. And that's going to happen eventually in every category. And if that's not you now, you need to be careful that you're not going to get disintermediated by a startup that builds themselves to be responsive. But one of my favorite examples of a company just like that is called Lemonade. Do you know those guys? Lemonade is an insurance company. Um, They are fully digital. They specialize in renter's insurance, although they do some other insurances as well. They are built from the beginning since the company was founded, I want to say four years ago. Uh, for speed. So I'll give you an actual example. This guy, Paul, uh, bought a $979 full-length Canada Goose parka. Really nice coat. He lives in New York City. Goes to the bar, goes to the bathroom, coat gets stolen. Ah, man, coat got stolen. Here's how you file a claim with Lemonade. You have an app on your phone, the Lemonade app. Grabs the phone, presses the app, shoots a 25-second video, just a selfie video. Oh, it's Paul. I've got this Canada Goose jacket. It was $979. I went to the bathroom. It's gone. It got stolen. Uh, Really sorry about that. Can you help me? 25-second video. Click. Hit submit. On the back end, Lemonade runs a bunch of AI algorithms. They look into Paul's credit history. They actually do some analysis of the video itself to see, like, is this a shifty kind of video, et cetera. Um, They run – he doesn't have to provide receipts or anything. They actually do an instantaneous lookup to see, hey, is that approximately what those kind of jackets actually cost? Or is he just making up a number? 
They already have access to his bank account because he has to put his bank account and wiring instructions into the app when he signs up for the for the uh, for the insurance. So they they do the fraud detection, they assess the claim, evaluate the claim. They send seven hundred and twenty nine dollars to his account because that's the total minus his two hundred and fifty dollar deductible. Okay, so to recap, twenty five second video, then. Analyze the claim, process the claim. They wire $727 to him. It's in his account. Approve the claim and close the case. The entire elapsed time, three seconds. Three seconds to approve the claim and wire him the money. This probably won't be a surprise. Amongst 200 plus insurance companies, number one, in customer satisfaction, Lemonade. Number one in revenue per employee, Lemonade. Number one in net promoter score, Lemonade. This is going to happen in every business. It's just a matter of time. That's a hugely powerful example. Thank you so much for joining us, Jay. It's been an absolute pleasure. My absolute pleasure as well. Grab the book. You can find it on uh, Amazon or thetimetowin.com. Excellent. Thank you, Jay. You bet. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.